Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewellery of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I was told, as we were going into the inquest, that Sid Fillory was actually working with Jonathan Rees at Southern Investigations. Untold. The Daniel Morgan murder. The most investigated murder in British history. It's just over six weeks now since a private detective called Daniel Morgan was found dead in a car park of a pub in South London. It was gruesome. He'd been killed with an axe. 30 years ago, a private detective was brutally murdered, and it still hasn't been solved. I'm Peter Jukes, and I'll be exploring how one man and his family began to unravel the truth. Untold. The Daniel Morgan murder. If you haven't heard this story, ask yourself, why? Welcome to the fourth episode of the Daniel Morgan Murder Podcast. Last podcast, we heard about the year after the murder and another strange, violent death, that of Taffy Holmes, who's alleged to be a friend of Daniel's and with him trying to sell a story of police corruption. The inquest into Taffy Holmes' alleged suicide was peculiar in itself because his suicide note was not entered into evidence. But we'll explore more of Taffy's suicide and the connection with Detective Constable Derek Haslam in Episode 6. But first, let's go to the dramatic inquest in April 1988, over a year after Daniel was killed. We came into the court and we just heard that Fillory was running my brother's business together with Jonathan Rees, so we were, we were already in a state of shock almost. We had a barrister representing us. Uh, her name was June Tweedy, and she said to us that she had photographs of the crime scene, pictures of my brother's dead body. And she said to us, I don't want to show you these. They're too gruesome. And I thought, I never want to see those pictures. I sort of knew that if I looked at those pictures, the images that were in front of me would be burned in my memory until the day I died. The first witness was Kevin Lennon, and before the inquest, we'd been wondering, why on earth is this man the first witness? He's a bookkeeper in, in the company. He was cross-examined by the coroner and by our barrister, who had no idea that this was going to happen. And it was just as if all of our worst fears were confirmed. 
These are the verbatim transcripts from the inquest. Listen to this statement. It was because of John Rees' frustration at all these attempts to get rid of Daniel Morgan coming to nothing that he started to talk regularly about getting Daniel Morgan killed. Can you enlarge on that? What did you mean by regularly? By regularly, I mean that that conversation regarding John Rees' attitude to Daniel Morgan took place on at least half a dozen occasions between myself and himself. You go on to say that he kept asking you if you knew anyone who would kill Daniel. Um, He seemed to believe you would know someone to do it. Why should he ask you to find somebody? You're an accountant. That is right. What does he want to ask you? Here is a private detective. Why would he ask his accountant who works for him to find somebody to kill him? We were very friendly and close at this stage. John also knew I regularly moved around Croydon in pubs and clubs where he did not associate. I presumed that he assumed that I would be in contact with somebody who would fit that particular task. You said, I made it clear to John Rees that I wouldn't do this and advised him to stop considering this course of action. I have no doubt that John Rees spoke to me like this because he trusted me 100% and that he believed our conversation was in complete confidence. You then go on to say that this conversation took place on six or so separate times. That is correct. I pleaded with John on each of those occasions to reconsider his course of action. I want you to think carefully about the next statement I'm going to put to you. This is what you stated in the statement. I formed the opinion that John Rees was determined to either kill Daniel Morgan or have him killed. When he spoke to me about it, John Rees was quite calm and unemotional about planning Daniel's death. Are you sure of that? Yes, I'm sure. Are you sure that it was not a statement that somebody would make in conversation? I wish I could get rid of him, or I wish I could have him killed. Are you sure that it was not a figure of speech? Was it more than that? It was more than that. John had decided at this stage that he could no longer work with Daniel in the partnership. He had, in his own mind, found a replacement for Daniel. It was his objective to get rid of Daniel, in order to replace him with his new prospective partner, who would be, in John's opinion, a much greater asset to the business. Who was this new partner who was going to take Daniel's place? At the time, he was a serving police officer, Sergeant Sid Fillery. I do not think he's on the force now. No, he has retired. It was astonishing. I was sitting in the court thinking, well, why don't they arrest these people now? You know, it was a bizarre situation. While this was happening, I could see the reporters rushing out to their telephones and phoning in copy to their newspapers. And I suppose we were just reeling, really, from the impact of this evidence. And uh, in a state of shock, and and we came out and there was people photographing us when we came out of the court. And then the next day, it was all over the papers. And, you know, on the front page of the sun, it was in big letters. Tuesday, 12th of April, 1988. Police in contract to kill. A private eye was axed to death after his partner offered police cronies a thousand pounds to murder him. It was claimed yesterday. Pint-sized John Reese boasted of his contract with CID men to get rid of womanising Daniel Morgan, an inquest jury heard. Now it's important to note that Lennon's evidence was contested by Reese's lawyer. 
because Lenin was on a fraud charge with the insinuation that he was somehow coerced by the police into making this statement. On the other hand, the first statement went back to October 1987. And it's in that statement that Lenin first alleges that Sid Fillory was going to take the role of Daniel after the murder. And of course, by now, six months later, it had actually happened. So among one of the first witnesses was a certain woman, Margaret Harrison. Now, we have met her before in podcast one, I think, because as we discovered then, she was having a kind of on-off relationship with Daniel, I believe, at the time, Alistair. Yeah, that's correct, yeah. But also, um, according to the evidence of phone calls and things like that at the inquest, she had seen Daniel just before he went to the Golden Lion, the night yeah. of his murder, and she'd been in contact a lot with Jonathan Reese, who was alleged to be courting her. Now, tell us a bit about Margaret Harrison's evidence, as it appeared to you. Well, my... The main impression I got from her was that she was extremely nervous in the witness box. Very, very nervous. And uh, when she was questioned, she couldn't remember things. Again and again and again, she was saying, Oh, I can't remember. Oh, I can't remember. And it got to the point where the coroner asked her, he said, I've got to ask you this, but have you been got at? Got at in what way? Well, you know, uh, either told what to say or intimidated or coached or... Or told what not to say. Yeah, exactly. Because I don't remember is a classic line, legal line, isn't it, where you basically don't say anything, but you don't have to lie either. If you say you can't remember, you can't get caught out lying, you see. And perjure yourself. Uh, Exactly. She looked very tense, very worried, scared, and, as I said, with astonishing memory lapses throughout throughout her testimony. Now, where is Margaret Harrison this today? She's now living and has lived with Jonathan Rees ever since my brother's murder. Talking of Rees's partners, oddly enough, uh, his wife at the time, since divorced, obviously now with Margaret Harrison, Sharon Rees, was called to give evidence. But what happened to her? Well, it was important. First of all, it was important to have her there because there'd been a... Well, on, on his way back from the Golden Lion, Rhys had allegedly, according to him, had had a, uh, there'd been an incoming call to his car and he'd allegedly had a 17-minute conversation with his wife on the way home. Let's just explain this a bit. Both Rhys and Daniel, um, one of the first to have mobile phones in their cars. So. Yeah, they both had car phones. And according to the printouts of the car phones, uh, Rhys had had an incoming call lasting something like 17 minutes. And the, the whole journey didn't take 17 minutes so it was very suspicious and she was called to give evidence about this phone call let be very clear about that so almost within minutes of the estimated murder of daniel yeah. uh, reese leaves the pub first just to reconstruct yeah. a little bit of that night and then daniel is left in the pub scribbling some notes it is alleged Allegedly, and then leads yep. to the car park where he's murdered so the evidence the phone call evidence seems to suggest that as soon as Reese left the pub, or pretty soon afterwards, while your brother was being murdered, he was on the phone to somebody for 17 minutes. Somebody rang. There were, he made both in and a series of incoming and outgoing phone calls from the car to the car. And 
one of them in he explained was his wife in mm. when he when he was uh, questioned by the police he said it was his wife and they thought it was odd that he was going home and you know if you're on your way home why have a 12 or I don't know but it was a it was long te- I think it was 17 you know, a very long telephone conversation with your wife longer than it actually takes to get home almost yes it was it was longer than the police drove the journey on several occasions to see how long it took and apparently the phone call took longer than the journey well that's very odd and so she was a crucial witness to that and what happened to her well the police went to no, they she they couldn't find her the police couldn't find her as a witness for as the a inquiry. witness yeah they couldn't find her they were they were going to the house and because the coroner summoned her to the to the inquest they couldn't find her she and then i think they called her doctor who said that she was suicidal or something like that and then I think our barrister was saying, look, we can't proceed without hearing her. And uh, they were. He, he, the, I think the coroner said, well, we'll have to do without her then. And then our barrister was saying, well, look, there was. we were considering taking the coroner to judicial review. It got very complicated. The inquest was delayed during this time. Yes, right? I think there was. If I remember yeah, correctly, two, there was a days. delay. Yeah, yeah, there was a delay. And then suddenly, in the papers, she was supposedly suicidal. They didn't know where they were. And then suddenly, in the, I think it was the Daily Mirror, return of the missing witness and she'd been photographed out shopping there's something else very important about sharon reese jonathan reese's wife at the time uh her her maiden name was vian and she was the sister of the vian brothers who'd been arrested a year earlier in connection with the murder now one of the interesting things about the inquest is that in his summing up which we'll hear in a moment the coroner makes a big point about there being no forensic evidence linking the axe to anyone called to give evidence in the official inquest into Daniel's murder. I must also mention that in all the evidence over the period of two weeks, and I hope the press take this up, it must be said here and now that there has not been one single forensic shred of evidence to link anybody with the killing of Daniel Morgan that we have heard in the last two weeks. No blood, no fibres, no fingerprints, no odd objects found. Not one single forensic fact has turned up in these two weeks to link anybody who has given evidence in this court to the killing of Daniel Morgan. Well, there are two important things to bear in mind here. In later inquiries, some forensic evidence would be found on that axe. But more importantly, the coroner says that it did not link at that time to any of the witnesses called to the court. Well, interestingly, since all three police officers, and indeed Rhys himself from the Belmont car auction had given evidence, neither Glenn or Gary Vian had been called. That in itself is a bit strange. But now we have to connect that to the non-appearance of Sharon Reese, also known in her maiden name as Sharon Vian. Now, did she not appear in court so as not to incriminate her husband, from whom she was rapidly, obviously becoming estranged, Jonathan Reese? Was she holding back some more important evidence about her two brothers? It seemed odd to us even then, you know, that these two people had been arrested but weren't called to give evidence at the inquest. And it was never explained. There was never any satisfactory explanation for this. Another revelation that came out of the inquest, as we flagged up in the last podcast, was an allegation on oath that Reese was running a media campaign with 
journalist friends to derail the original murder inquiry. He was doing that with rumours about the senior investigating officers being drunk and having affairs, and it extended even to a criminal plan to fit up with drugs Detective Inspector Alan Jones, the man who had arrested Reese as a suspect. This is how The Guardian reported the testimony from the coroner's court. Guardian, 14th of April, 1988. Private detective spoke of framing inspector. A private investigator was so unhappy about being arrested in connection with the axe murder of his partner that he spoke of planting drugs in the car of an investigating officer and getting a journalist to write that the detectives were constantly drunk. 14th of April, 1988. Cop tells of double agent role. It was another meeting that he disclosed his plans to discredit Detective Superintendent Douglas Campbell and Detective Inspector Alan Jones, two senior officers in the case, by getting a journalist friend to write an article critical of the investigations. Part of the article would claim that Jones and Campbell were constantly drunk. And the evidence for that, a lot of that evidence comes from in the inquest from a certain very interesting detective called Duncan Hanrahan. Now, what do you remember, Alistair, about his evidence? For some reason, he had been sort of planted. He knew Reese, and I think he was one of the investigators on the Belmont case. And Doug Campbell, the SIO on the investigation, had asked him to sort of get in with Reese and Fillory. So to go undercover as well. Yeah, to go undercover. And he was called to give evidence, and he explained that Reese had taken a serious dislike to Alan Jones. He's the deputy, he's the yeah, second he was the number two on the, on the murder investigation. And that he was planning to plant, or talking about planting drugs on his, in his car, and in some way to discredit him. Yes, it's interesting, planting drugs in the car, as we explained last uh, podcast, that indeed Reese was arrested and convicted of a plot to plant drugs in a woman's car in a custody dispute in actually convicted in 2000 so this he has formed for this many years later but this happened many years later but it was obviously something in his mind in 1987 if this uh, is evidence the other thing about Hanohan's evidence was it also shows that Reese already had access to the press didn't it because he was talking about planting stories about the the officers being drunk and having affairs that's what it says yeah so um he was a dc duncan hanrahan just to alert us a bit to the future he'll have quite a checkered uh, interesting history won't he yeah i mean uh i think it was well 11 or 12 years later he was arrested for some very serious corruption a whole raft of Uh, offences he was involved in and I think he was sentenced to 11 years or something like that Life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if AI could fold your laundry and some well less awesome like what if you have unexpected medical costs United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans they supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. As we've seen in the previous podcast, uh, Reese also had already, in 1987 and 88, had good connections with the press. And we've seen allegations about his connections with News of the World. Now, you remember, do you not, seeing... Reese and Fillory at the inquest with a journalist who didn't talk to you, or who you think was a journalist. Well, I, I can remember Reese was sitting a few rows behind us in the in the court, and he'd be there every day, and obviously we'd see each other and look at each other. I can remember one on a couple of occasions seeing him sitting next to a man with a large moustache, and I mean other people that he sat with I recognised, but this particular man I didn't recognise. And I can remember at that time wondering, I wonder who that. And that man, if he was a journalist, never approached us at any time, whereas all the other journalists who were at the inquest all wanted to talk to us at various times, you know, as they naturally would. But uh, this particular man uh, never, ever spoke to us. And only years later, when I saw a photograph of Alex Marinchak, did I wonder, and I still don't know, was that man Alex Marinchak? Well, there's good reason to, because other evidence says that they were working together by this point. That's the evidence of Marjorie Williams. Yes, and also I think Marinchak said that he met Reese at the inquest. This is what he alleges. Indeed he does. And within a year, crime reporter for News of the World Alex Marinchak writes up a favourable and extensive interview with Jonathan Reese. News of the World, 14th of May, 1989. Cover-up cops axed my partner to death by Alex Marinchek. Bent cops murdered private eye Danny Morgan to cover up a massive overtime fraud. That sensational claim was made last night by the man cleared of the killing. His partner, John Reese, 34, was accused. But this week he walked free after the Director of Public Prosecutions dropped all charges against him. In a secret hideaway, Reese told the News of the World that Morgan's death was linked to the apparent suicide of flying squad cop Alan Taff Holmes. Reese told me, Morgan and Holmes were great pals. Both were Welsh and as thick as thieves. The more I look into this, the more I'm convinced this is the missing part of the puzzle. The relationship between Daniel Morgan and Alan Holmes, both in a room together, allegedly trying to sell a story of police corruption. Both violently dead within months of each other. But it's so important. We're going to devote an entire episode to this theme in the podcast after next. So Reese didn't talk to you um, during the inquest, I imagine. You just looked at each other. Yeah, we didn't. No, there was no conversation between us at all. Were there any other interactions? Well, I, I remember at one stage, my mother, uh, during one of the breaks, had gone out to the ladies' toilet 
and she'd come back and she was looking very angry my mother and I said to her what's the matter and she said I just walked past Jonathan Reese in the in the hallway out there and he stubbed his cigarette out he stubbed his cigarette on my coat he jabbed his lit lighted cigarette against my coat and she showed me the the burn mark on her coat and she was very angry and upset about that my sister was in Germany she was too upset to come to this inquest I just couldn't I was hanging on to my mental health by the skin of my teeth because of the grief of having lost Daniel and I just I should have naturally I feel I wish I'd had the courage come to the inquest but I thought I can't hear a pathologist you know talking about his body and his you know sort of well-nourished male with a club foot you know signs of describing the the wounds and and there would be photographs of the injuries and that sort of thing I've just felt I can't face this it will kill me first of all I wasn't on the witness list there and I wondered why, because I obviously wanted to give the evidence about um, about the attempt to get me out of London when I'd been to the incident room. And my barrister had said, look, I want Alistair Morgan to give evidence here, which I did. And I explained about the interview with Alan Jones and then with Sid Fillory and then the phone calls. I gave my evidence about that. And then I think Reese had said something about Daniel. He came up with some mad story about Daniel being in the car park to buy drugs for me and I mean this was crazy because Daniel my brother hated drugs right he never uh, he'd never smoked a cigarette in his life he he was absolutely against drugs of any description and um yeah I, I don't know how it came up but oh I was I mean I'd been a student in the 60s and like millions of others I'd smoked marijuana and things like that while I was a student and um, I thought well so what but it's another one of these interesting diversions or we could call them red herrings which in a way now look very suspicious because why would you come up with two or three different explanations one there's a jealous lover now drug dealer Unless you are trying to hide something, it doesn't seem like he's helping the inquiry. No, I mean, uh, ever since the murder, he's been pointing the finger left, right and centre everywhere, you know, and uh, one has to wonder why. So finally, after two weeks of the most incredible drama, Sir Montague Levine, the chief coroner of Southwark Court, began his summing up. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, this has probably been one of the most unique inquests that I've had to deal with over the years. I'm sure people who've been involved with inquests will probably agree with me. I shall start by saying that on the 10th of March, 1987, the dead body of Daniel Morgan, with an axe buried deeply in his head, was discovered in the car park at the rear of the Golden Lion Public House in Sydenham, London. Approximately one year and two months later, no person or persons have been charged with his demise. Consequently, an inquest was begun on the 11th of April, 1988. What you have to remember about British coroners is they do not ascribe guilt or blame for a sudden and unnatural death. Though coroners do have juries, they are looking at mainly how a death took place. You will remember that the question, how, when I started the inquest, I stated, was much wider than the medical cause of death. For if this was not so, it could have been merely said that Daniel Morgan's demise was caused by an axe in his head. 
that would have been the end of the matter and there would have been no need for a lengthy inquest. I said there were indeed many other matters and events which may have been related to Daniel Morgan's death. In the interests of a fuller investigation, they all had to be examined. That is why it took two weeks. However, Sir Montague Levine was very astute and acute about some of the unexplained parts of the evidence. Early on in the inquest, great store was put about the question, why did Daniel Morgan park his car in a dark area behind the public house on that night? I don't think this has really been adequately explained. It seems strange to me, as it might seem strange possibly to you, that a man would park his car right at the other side of the car park, walk through the car park, down through the side entrance. Uh, it's quite a walk if you've seen the public house, and I went there with the police officer, I think it was D.I. Jones who took me to see the pub. He would have had to walk all the way down, all the way round to the front of the pub, and come in through the front. You may wonder why. Why couldn't he just nip through the little garden at the back and come through the two doors and get into the saloon bar? That is a bit of a mystery to me, as it might be a mystery to you. Which brings us back to that dark and secluded car park. Well, what made Daniel park his expensive BMW coupe in such a dark and remote place? Just out of interest, Alistair had actually driven Daniel's car when Daniel was away on a business trip just before the murder. Actually, Alistair had parked it in a church car park where it had been broken into and robbed. And Daniel had told him when he got back, according to Alistair, never park in car parks. Meanwhile, the coroner looked at the potential role of the Belmont car auctions heist. You remember those six people arrested, including three police officers, and its potential role in the killing. Now, about the police officers themselves, I should like to say here and now, and this has been borne out first of all by the Morgan family and also by Detective Superintendent Campbell and D.I. Jones, that Foley and Purvis, their role in the killing of Daniel Morgan, I'm going to use the word exonerated, because there is nothing to connect them whatsoever, and it would be wrong not to say that. But what of that staggering opening statement by the bookkeeper, Kevin Lennon, that Reese had been planning to kill Daniel for almost a year and that in the latter stages, Sid Fillory became part of the plot? Well, here's what he had to say about that. What about the startling and frightening evidence by Mr. Lennon? This damning evidence which dropped like a bombshell in this court early on in the inquest. I think it was on the first day. His Allegations that Mr. Reese had asked him, find somebody to kill Daniel Morgan. What could be more stark, more horrific, more poignant, more dramatic than that single statement that the press took up? I still find the coroner's words here intriguing. It's almost as if, in his coded judicial way, Sir Montague Levine is begging the press to follow this up. What verdicts apply in this case? With the greatest stretch of imagination and when you examine all the theories, one verdict and one verdict only comes to mind. Referring to Daniel Morgan, he was unlawfully killed. If you believe, one, it was a contract killing. If you believe, two, that somebody attempted to enter his car and he was killed. Three, if you believe it was some 
drug offence and somehow he got killed at the side of his car, you will give the same verdict. If you believe a mad axe man was on the loose, you will give the same verdict. If you believe it was a gang killing, you will also give the same verdict. If you believe it was a killing by anybody with a grudge, by a disgruntled boyfriend or a disgruntled husband, you will give the same verdict. Any of these scenarios that I mentioned, the six possible theories, you will consider one verdict and one verdict only. Any of these scenarios are covered by the one simple verdict, he was unlawfully killed. Let's just stand back for a moment and put ourselves in Alistair's position. It's been over a year since your kid brother has been brutally slain. You knew within hours that his business partner, Jonathan Reese was the last one to see him. You know he and your brother had fallen out. So there was motive and circumstance. And then, when you arrive in London, Reese starts feeding you misinformation about third parties, muggings, affairs and jealous partners. With these inconsistent stories, he seems to incriminate himself further. Then, when you share your suspicions with a police officer on the team who knew Daniel, Sid Fillory, he dismisses your fears, takes no notes, and within a day, you're told to leave town for hindering the inquiry. It's only later you discover, by accident, that Fillory has been arrested with Reese on suspicion of murder. Well, for the next year, you're waiting for things to happen. A TV reconstruction of the crime mischaracterizes your brother, makes him unrecognizable to any potential witnesses, and completely unsympathetic. Reese never talks to you, or explains, until you accidentally meet him in a pub. Now his story is all about some drugs deal from Malta. You tell the cops you'll wear a wire and find out more from Reese, but they stop you. So you wait to the inquest. Moments before it opens at the coroner's court, you're told that Sidney Fillory has left the police and taken Daniel's place in Southern Investigations. The two previous murder suspects are now working together. And then, the first witness at the inquest says on oath that Reese was trying to get your brother killed for over a year and then resolved to do it with a police officer who would then take Daniel's place, Sidney Fillory. All this evidence is in open court. All your suspicions have now been confirmed in public and in the press. It's all over the press. The jury retire to consider their verdict. They come back out. They conclude your brother was unlawfully killed. In other words, he was murdered. And the plot to kill him has been laid bare. What would you think would happen now? Come on, there's surely there's no way around this. There's ample evidence to try those suspects for your brother's murder. Finally, after over a year, the agony must be over. But what actually happened next? We were just left in this awful limbo. You know, nothing was going to happen. Nothing. We, uh, I thought, well, are they going to arrest them? But nobody arrested anybody. And we, we were just left in this awful limbo. And certainly for months after that extraordinary inquest, nothing did happen. Then finally, after complaining to his local MP, Member of Parliament, Alistair discovered that his local police force, the Hampshire Constabulary, were launching a new inquiry. 
Hampshire police were appointed to investigate all aspects of police involvement arising from the death of Daniel Morgan. And so this is the start of the second inquiry. So tune in next week and find out how Jonathan Rees is arrested again and this time charged with murder. Episode 4 was supported by Ian Puddick. Produced by Peter Dukes and Devia Mir. With special thanks to Nick Jackson for technical support. Soundtrack by Shamali Mir. With closing music by Warrior Charge. And remember, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, listen on the Acast app and get extra images and background notes alongside the audio or visit untoldmurder.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.